All right, friends. Good morning. Afternoon. Jeez. One o'clock here on News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to the What's Right show. Friends, uh, at the, well, at the top of the Dredge Report right this minute, White House or jail and a photo of former President Donald J. Trump uh, under the heading here, magistrate presiding over arraignment, referring to a magistrate and not Judge Eileen Cannon. Uh, more on her in a moment. I'll explain why that is relevant. On Friday, as news of this arraignment was coming out, as we were on air, I uh, went through this thing and I'm, I tell you, I, I, my, my instincts about this case against Trump remain uh, largely unchanged from Friday. And so in the big picture of this, I, I think this is an absolute catastrophe for Joe Biden and for the entire Democratic Party. It's also not great for Trump, but it is terrible for Biden. And I'll explain why. Because if you peruse, as I have over the weekend, a number of uh, publications, not, listen, not CNN, not MSNBC, not New York Times or the Washington Post, but I'm talking about, well, perhaps, for example, the Wall Street Journal. The Wall Street Journal, they had a, 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 an editorial board piece that came out. Well, it came out on, on Friday at 7 in the evening, Eastern Time. So about, we'll call about 4 o'clock our time. And the title of the editorial board uh, missive here is, Do Prosecutors Understand the Forces They Are Unleashing? And what it gets to is the, is, is the heart of what I, I, I said earlier. I mean, I... I this entire indictment, and, and when we look at the indictment now, we understand a little more of it. 31 counts of willful retention of national defense information, one count of false statements and representations, one count of conspiracy to obstruct justice, one count of withholding a document or record, one count of corruptly concealing a document, one count of concealing a document in federal investigation, and finally, one count of a scheme to conceal. 37 counts total, if you add it all up consecutive, about 100 years in jail, in prison if convicted. Now, the problem, the fundamental problem, and as I got through the entire, you know, 40, but let's see here for my stack here, 43, 47, I think, pages of this indictment, if you add the penalty sheets to it about that. Once I got through the whole thing, one thing that struck me, and it's, it's raising the attention of a number of, of observers here is uh, that there's no reference in this to the Presidential Records Act. The indictment simply never mentions it. Now, what is the Presidential Records Act? It allows a president, a former president, access to documents, both classified and unclassified, once he leaves office. It allows for good faith negotiation with the National Archives. Yet when you read this indictment, the real, real trouble here for the prosecutors bringing this is that 
it assumes and, and, and presupposes, really, that Trump had no right to take any of this stuff. In the opening pages of the indictment, it talks about this information all belonging to the United States of America. It's technically true. But Congress long ago allowed a carve-out specifically for presidents, former presidents, to have access for this information as they build their presidential libraries, as they put together their memoirs, their records. They have access to things that they did have access to during their presidency. None of it is acknowledged in the document, in the actual indictment itself. Now, in, as, I, as I look at this, right, as I see this, look, one, if Trump did, in fact, declassify this information before he left office, I've explained many times how this is, how this is um, his, probably his best defense, then all these other counts, his scheme to conceal and corruptly concealing a document and whatnot, these counts become uh, a little bit more difficult to present and to get convictions on, in part because if the source of these uh, conspiracies to obstruct justice and withholding documents, etc., relate to documents that he had a right to hold on to, these no longer are criminal acts in and of themselves, if that makes sense. So this is a, as I, as I look at it just as a lawyer, I'm seeing uh, this is something that is uh, blown, uh, inflated, uh, blown up and significantly out of proportion, and it, and it creates an enormous problem for the prosecutors here. Now, as the Wall Street Journal points out, and I think this is a fair point, the... Biden can say, Merrick Garland, they both can say, well, this was a special prosecutor that brought a recommendation uh, to indict to the grand jury. The grand jury signed off on it. The fact that this indictment was filed, that is an act and a, and a, and a procedure that is effected by the Department of Justice. The attorney general has final say on what indictments are filed and which ones are not. Had the, well, we call it the Hillary Clinton rule, right? If we had James Comey, what did he get up there? And he said, well, we've, yes, we've, we've uncovered, what was the actual term? It was major problems related to Ms. Clinton's retention and maintenance of highly classified information. And yet, right, what's, what's the, what was the recommendation? And yet, it's inappropriate for us to weigh in on this. It's middle of a presidential election. We're not going to do it. And we recommend, and we're not going to file, the Justice Department's not going to file, file any charges. This is, and, and ought to have been the rule followed. In fact, Biden and back to why I think this is such a problem for Biden, Biden ought to have done that. That would have been the right move. If the Biden administration had stood up and said, you know what, uh, let us, we're going to tar and feather Trump with all of this stuff in the indictment. And folks, let me be perfectly blunt with you, reading this back and forth, if 
any of it is true about Trump using his lawyer, telling his lawyers to lie to these investigators and to he was moving stuff around these documents and keep, kept them. At, you know, it's like if any of this is true, it's just appallingly dumb, and it reflects poorly on the former president. And Biden could have used this to greatly disqualify Trump from, I don't know, from, from he's gonna, yeah, you could use this as, as political leverage against Trump in the sense that releasing it, condemning it, and then himself rising above it. We do not believe here that it is the place of the Department of Justice controlled by me, President Joe Biden, to go after a political adversary of mine. It's not something I'm going to do. This could have won Biden the much-needed middle in the 2024 election, but he failed to do it. Today, June 12th, Sadie Gurman, writing also for the Wall Street Journal, this piece, Merrick Garland wanted politics out of the Justice Department. Then came the Trump case. Quote, when a grand jury returned the first ever federal indictment of a former president last week, Attorney General Merrick Garland made a point of suggesting he was nowhere near the team handling the case. He strolled into Justice Department headquarters in downtown Washington with his deputy late Thursday amid intense speculation about charges. Trump broke the news of the indictment later that evening, but the next day it was Jack Smith, the little-known prosecutor Garland appointed to oversee the Trump investigation who came before the world's cameras to announce the historic event. Goes on to say how the Attorney General's, well, efforts here to keep himself as far away from this unprecedented criminal case you know, he was aware that these, uh, the decision to bring charges against the former president could be interpreted through a political lens, and yet he went ahead and did it. And what the American public needs to know is that the approval from this came from Merrick Garland, had to by operation of law, and thus by extension came from the president himself. The stink for this mess goes straight up to Biden. And it is perplexing to me. It is perplexing to me how politically inept Biden is and how dumb the entire Democratic Party establishment is. Because only these people could be so afflicted with Trump derangement syndrome that they would bring this case to their own detriment. And when we come back, I want to explain what I mean. Because this is, uh, in my view, far more fatal, this case, to Biden politically, and in fact, legally, than it is to Donald Trump. And that, I think, is, is, is not a necessarily popular position right now, but I, I'm, I'm telling you, there's there's... I'll explain why I think this when we come back. Sam Marjofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show 
Here on News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, friends. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Great to be with you here on News Talk 840 KXNT. All right, can we lower the sound? Thank you. Super. Um, All righty. Well, listen, folks. I'm just following this news here of dust settling over the weekend. On Friday, we learned that President Donald J. Trump indicted by a grand jury down in Florida in Miami. Tomorrow, he's set to appear 37 federal counts against him, totaling 100 some odd years of uh, jail time if convicted. And, you know, this this case is whether you look at it strictly as a legal case or you want to look at it beyond what it is, it's a political case. Politics are at the core of it. Now, on Friday, I, 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 you know, I mentioned as I started perusing the, uh, the indictment, I, I, I tell you, I am beyond frustrated <laughs> that Trump would be as reckless as he was, knowing full well what these Biden uh, Justice Department types wanted to do to him. Let's you know repeat here. We, we we know that Trump survived two efforts, not one, to remove him from office. He had Democrats in Congress twice vote to impeach him. He had two special counsels assigned. This is a guy who knew from go that these people were after him, and yet I I don't know how else to describe it. He jerked their chain. He knew that they were after it. They were filing subpoenas. These weren't requests. These weren't police turn over these documents because, you know, it started that way. These were demands. Now, one thing that isn't being talked about here is the why. Now, I think it's it's oversimplification to say that Trump just has a problem with he just has a problem with 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 authority, you know, and he he, he just thought these were his shiny toys to play with and that was going to be that. I think that's a gross oversimplification. I am convinced, and we won't really know because now these documents have been confiscated or being held by the the attorney general's office, by by the special prosecutor and and the Justice Department. We don't really know what's in them, but my suspicion is, and we had some clues of this and Trump talking about characterizing one of the documents in an exchange with a writer – I'll tell you, my, ins- my instinct is that these were documents that he held because they proved his point that the deep state was conspiring against him, right? That these various folks in the military establishment and in the intelligence communities were working in direct opposition to his uh, was not powers, but yeah, his, 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 his presidency. 
And I, I suspect that's the real problem. They started looking for these documents once he left the office uh, of president, wanted to shore everything up and realized that he had the goods on them. So I think there's a reason why he kept them. But at the same time, it was, I mean, there were ways that he, he could have maintained some of the stuff without, without uh, just giving him the middle finger. And that is ultimately what got him into this predicament. But what breathes life into Donald J. Trump's political future potentially and what harms Biden is the fact that this, even among middle of the road, people that do not particularly want to see Trump reelected, breathes life into Donald Trump's uh, potential here to to be – reelected even, gosh forbid, I can't believe I'm saying that, is the fact that you have this, this thing, it's, I mean, the opposition folks out there to this indictment is staggering. I'm actually surprised, I mean, again, I've, I've, I read the Wall Street Journal pieces, number of them decrying a political prosecution, and I'll play for you some reactions here as we get through the show because there's a lot going on here, but I think you know. I think that this is a a, a disaster for Biden. And one of the one of the questions I got asked, uh, of course, was: Is this a disaster for Biden? Is this okay? So another Democrat comes along, but the entire Democratic Party establishment is complicit in this. This isn't just Biden. This is this. These are the people on the inside. This is the Justice Department. These are the people that are trying to convince moderate Republicans that the FBI doesn't need to be abolished. When you consider it in terms of that, this is a staggeringly stupid move. I'm not aware of a single Republican besides maybe Mike Pence who is running in the the presidential primaries that is – in any way, shape, or form, okay with what has occurred here. It, I mean, honestly, it, it is turning other Republicans who have a, some of them who have strong chances of being either the candidate themselves or the nominee themselves or perhaps a high-ranking official in the next administration. It is turning them into uh, well, certainly anti-Justice Department, anti-FBI uh, conservatives, because there's no other way to see this. If they had prosecuted Hillary Clinton, if they had prosecuted, <laughs> filed charges against, let's say, um, uh, Joe Biden for one, literally on television. Oh yeah, I had some documents. Oh yeah, no problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't worry. They were locked up by the Corvette in my garage. No big deal. If they had filed those charts, if they had done nothing, all those people got a pass. And the only thing that they gave us, the one person on the Republican side that they let off was who? Mike Pence. (laughs) Who's Who's the one that's crying for Trump to be prosecuted? It stinks, and everyday average Americans understand 
that it stinks. All right, Sam Rajofsky here. I'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit salmonashlaw.com. Greetings, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. <laughs> All right. All right. All right. <laughs> All right, friends, listen. Um, I'll tell you. Uh, Jack Smith, who is the special prosecutor assigned to get Trump, here is what he said on Friday at the press conference announcing the indictment of Donald J. Trump. Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Violations of those laws put our country at risk. Adherence to the rule of law is a bedrock principle of the Department of Justice. And our nation's commitment to the rule of law sets an example for the world. We have one set of laws in this country, and they apply to everyone. This is, of course, the biggest load of bunk anywhere, and everyone knows it. You have a guy like Trump, who is former president of the United States, has under the PRA the ability to well, view classified information even after he leaves office, has the ability while he's president to declassify information, is in the midst of a campaign, whose, which effort, the effort of which is to unseat the current president of the United States. I mean, and this is the guy, by the way, the president of the United States, current guy, who is, I would say Trump is his primary opponent at this point is, this is literally, what, three months ago, four months ago, admitted that he had classified documents just laying around his garage. And he gets a pass. Now, by the way, you, you know, willful retention of national defense information Willful doesn't mean, whoops, I accidentally had, I just didn't know about it. Willful means you intended to move it. And guess what? You intended to move it if there is, if there are documents outside of secure areas in the Capitol or in the White House or in the West Wing, wherever your office is. So this, you know, the, the objective here wasn't to, to, to meet out equal justice. The, the, the effort here is to pursue Trump. So here's the, um, here's a retort. This is Alan Dershowitz, who, if you'll remember, represented Donald Trump in the first impeachment proceeding. Dershowitz here, um, well, he, he's, he, he raises a good point in talking about exactly what uh, selective prosecution is. And remember, I talked about this on Friday. Selective prosecution is, is key. And it's, uh, and, and by the way, it's a key issue here. Jack Smith is wrong when he says there's one set of laws. He was assigned only one job to get 
Trump. So here's the legal issue. Let's assume hypothetically that a Democrat prosecutor announces in advance, I'm only going to investigate Republicans. And then the investigation produces some evidence of crime. Is that acceptable in America? If the same investigation done against Democrats or done against someone else would also have produced uh, crimes, is it legal? Is it justifiable? That's the thing. So if, if Hillary Clinton gets a pass for maintaining thousands of classified documents sent to her personal email address on a server located in her basement, she gets a pass on that. Why doesn't Trump get a pass here? Now, the other thing is, people ask, is this going to be a straightforward case? Dershowitz answers that. Uh, speaking on Fox News with Maria Bartiromo. This is a much stronger indictment than the Bragg indictment, but it's the product of targeting. And the question is, can you prosecute somebody when you targeted that person and went through every hoop, dotted every I, crossed every T, gave lawyers immunity, violated the lawyer-client privilege, and then came up with something? I don't know how the courts will look at that, and, and it will be a fascinating trial. It is not a slam dunk conviction. So then Dershowitz goes on to discuss the judge who I mentioned last week, Judge Eileen Cannon, Trump appointee. And you'll remember that she was the one who put a ruling in place to appoint a special monitor, a special master uh, to review the information that was covered by attorney client privilege. Because, you know, the feds went in and they, they took everything. They took documents. They took communications between Trump and his lawyers. So Dershowitz addresses that and the, uh, I guess, the efficacy and the credibility of the judge. I want to say one word about the judge. She's getting a yeah. lot of flack for having ruled that there should be a, a special monitor appointed to review lawyer-client information. She was 100% correct in that ruling. And, and, and it was a civil liberties ruling. And as a liberal Democrat civil libertarian, I applaud her for that ruling. When the government seizes material that's lawyer client, it should be looked at by a special master first. And the 11th Circuit, with due respect, was not correct in reversing her. And the media is not correct in condemning her. Bingo. This is a thousand percent true. And by the way, this is where we conservatives can find common ground, I think, I hope, with liberals. Because a true liberal, a true civil libertarian liberal guy like Alan Dershowitz will stick to his principles, whether it's Trump or not Trump, whether it's a mega Republican or the, or the biggest, craziest left-wing Democrat which is to say the Constitution, the Fourth and Fifth Amendment, are very clear about protecting properties from unreasonable searches and seizures. And further, the lawyer-client relationship, the confidentiality is sacrosanct and has been ruled on over and over again in courts throughout the history of this republic and upheld. But when it came to Trump, these in the 11th Circuit, a number of these usually very liberal justices decided to throw it all out the window because, of course, we had to get the orange guy. Orange man bad. This is so 
ugh, upsetting. Now, the curious thing is, I wonder what the F, well, so maybe some people who are not in the mix right now, but are familiar with Miami and what the Southern District of Florida is like. What do they think of the chances of this happening? And you'll recall, this is a big part of the story because at some point, and we're not exactly clear as to why, but Jack Smith, the special prosecutor here, pivoted from filing these charges in D.C., which would have been a much easier slam-dunk prosecution because why? Because in that courthouse, it's all, yeah, look, it's 80, 85, 90, 92% Democrat in and around the Washington, D.C. area. So the jury pool is made up of folks that have a strong disdain for Trump. Even the Republicans in D.C. are not Trumpists. They are all, well, they, they, have a, <laughs> they have a friend of a friend who was a cousin of a friend of a friend that was violently assaulted on January 6th in the Capitol, right? And the story's just grown and grown out of proportion. They, they are too close to this. But that's why originally Jack Smith held the first and impaneled the first grand jury in D.C. They were hoping to bring charges in D.C., and it is possible they still might because Jack Smith, I, I hate to tell you this, folks, it's not over. I mean, he's still investigating the events surrounding January 6th. So it's, it may still come and the, and the jury there, the grand jury in D.C. may, or a next iteration of it, may still bring charges against Trump there. They're not going to let this go. But what are the chances of Trump getting convicted in Miami? And just like I said last week, not so fast. Here's former FBI Special Agent Nicole Parker from the Miami Division talking uh, about this uh, on Fox News. And, and, and what she says here, I think, is uh, absolutely true. I was an FBI agent here in the Southern District of Florida with the Miami Division of the FBI. I've worked with many of these judges over the years here in the Southern District of Florida. You are dealing with outstanding judges. The jury is going to be selected from, you know, Miami-Dade County. This is a county that a lot of these people come from countries where they don't like to see political retribution. That is what they ran away from. A lot of people from, you know, Cuba, Venezuela, things of that sort. If they see something that they think might be politically based, you know, they're going to probably take that into consideration. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just thinking uh, probably of folks that came from a country like Venezuela, where no doubt the communist government of Hugo Chavez, for example, uh, put away political adversaries into prison. On, and I've explained, you know, by the way, this, these countries are, these, these charges are often for legitimate things. You know, oh, look, we got this guy on tax evasion. We're putting him in jail for tax evasion. I mentioned how Putin does this. One of these oligarch billionaire types falls out of favor with the Kremlin, and suddenly they get raided, charged, you know, convicted. And the defenses, well, they, they were actually engaged in criminal activity. They were ex ex actually engaged in tax evasion, etc., in fraud. And I always read those stories, and I'm, you know, and the missing context is that every one of those oligarchs is engaged in criminal activity. It's the Kremlin, it's 
Hugo Chavez. It's, it's, it's all these tin horn dictators that decide who they charge. They let people run amok. They let people commit crimes. Jim Comey and the FBI here let Hillary Clinton get away with it. They let Joe Biden get away with it. They're letting Hunter Biden get away with it. But who are they going after? They're going after the guy that they don't like. And just like former special agent Nicole Parker says, in Miami-Dade County, where this jury's going to come from, these are people that are coming from countries that did this stuff. They get it. They understand it. They viscerally, fundamentally, know what this is about. And they ain't going to like it. You're going to get a strong couple of people on this jury who will not go for this. Don't let anybody tell you that this is a slam dunk prosecution. So how does it shake out? Well, folks, I, to the extent that I have a crystal ball, I, I, I tell you, damage is going on all directions. Like I keep saying, I, the, a lot of this damage, imagine Trump. I just, I'll put this out there. Imagine that the special prosecutor's case begins to fall apart. And imagine that he doesn't get a conviction from, a, from 12 people on a jury. It'd be a problem. It's going to be a problem, and it'll come back to haunt Biden. Trust me on this. Sam Rajofsky here. You're listening to The What's Right Show. I'll be back in a moment. Rarely wrong, always right. Sam Rajofsky here. News Talk 840 KXNT. Welcome back uh, to The What's Right Show. Sam at samandashlaw.com. Sam at samandashlaw.com is where you can reach me. And I'll tell you, folks, this is, uh, just to be clear, I know we went some back and forth here during the break with Robbie. Judge Eileen Cannon is still on the case. I'm seeing some reports here that there was a magistrate assigned uh, to the arraignment. Yes, just to the arraignment. That's Judge Jonathan Goodman. But Judge uh, District, District Judge Eileen Cannon is going to remain on the case. She was randomly assigned to Trump's case, and it is significant because, yes, she's a Trump appointee. She also is the one who, uh, as, as I mentioned last segment uh, in um, – uh, She's the one who made some rulings on his uh, – following the raid that took place at Mar-a-Lago, made some rulings to protect documents and have a special master assigned to review those documents to sift through letters and communications that may have been covered by attorney-client privilege. And privilege is a, a critical thing, right? If you are a criminal defendant – uh, you have the full right to discuss your legal exposure with your lawyer and not have your lawyer be forced to testify. Now, there's a crime fraud exception if you're directing your lawyer to commit <laughs> and further uh, criminal ca- acts, right? You can't do that. Um, but but and, – and they're going to allege, by the way, they're going to allege that the information that they have here – uh, that they that that to the extent that it relates to material that could be covered by privilege, the Justice Department is going to argue that that the crime fraud uh, exception uh, applies. 
So th there will be a ton of pretrial motion work that goes back and forth. And the left already is crying to disqualify U.S. District Judge Eileen Cannon uh, because, of course, they see her as a Trump stooge, which, as Alan Dershowitz explained, is not necessarily the case. She, in fact, her ruling was absolutely correct, and the 11th Circuit was wrong in overturning it. Now, what's the – again, well, this is a, a, a problem here, this whole case, because now it's – becoming increasingly clear that the Biden administration intends a, well, a political prosecution of Trump. They're looking to do this case and bring it. What are we doing? We are in June of 23. The first primaries will happen uh, February, uh, first days of February, first couple of days of February, late January, February of 24. So we are we're six months, seven months away Again, this is a long time. It will take a long time to get between now and then. A lot can happen. But one of the things that is likely to occur is, quite honestly, the trial is, is likely to take place uh, by then, certainly. So you have the <laughs> – Trump's trial is beginning on, on, the, you know, on the doorstep of the primaries. Now, I'm looking at this, folks. I still look at this, and I go, my reaction to it is that I am concerned that Trump did not fully appreciate and acknowledge the immense legal risk that he had as soon as they began asking him for documents. Because what I would ask myself, if I were Trump, and suddenly I was getting very specific requests for certain documents that I knew I had. I would think to myself, there's somebody here in my organization that's tipped people off. These people want to kill me. They literally want to end me politically. How do I get myself out of it? And one of the things that uh, many Trump supporters, myself included, have over the years have, have, have thought and looked at with Trump is, you know, we, we, we kind of like how he's been able to outsmart his adversaries. Getting yourself indicted on 37 counts, I, I, no amount of spin can, can, can make this sound like a win. It's just not, it's not possible. You, you, you have to be in fantasy land to believe that. This is a self-inflicted wound. And I've had people, you know, come up to me and say, "Well, you know, Sam, he's this is he's he's doing this on he's doing this on purpose. I mean, he's doing this. He 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 wanted the documents. He had some proof of of wrongdoing. He wants it all outed. He wants to blow a hole and show how 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 awful these people are. And he's he's bringing it all to a head. And it's all part of a great master plan. I I." I I'm at a loss, friends. There's no way that I can defend that position. That is not a reasonable take. The only conclusion here is that he's prideful. He's impetuous. He is compulsive. And this was not something that was well thought out. He, after all of what has happened, since 2016 till now, till a year ago, 
he still didn't have a full appreciation for the extent to which these people in D.C., in the Justice Department, in the FBI, in the inner workings of our government, how much they hate him. He still didn't have an appreciation for the intel chiefs and all these people who were uh, just absolutely dedicated to destroying Trump. And, 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 and this, 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 but that is a concern to me. And that's where I think this political weak, politically weakens Trump. Now I'll give you more Republican uh, reactions here when we come back because I, I, think, I, I think honestly this becomes the number one biggest issue in the race and it's going to be fascinating to see how it, um, how it comes to be. Sam Rajofsky, you're listening to The Wiss Right Show, News Talk 840 KXNT. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Ted Kaczynski, known as the Unabomber, carried out a 17-year bombing campaign, killed three people, injured 23 Died by suicide, apparently, this weekend. Uh, this according to four people familiar with the matter, uh, reporting to the Associated Press. Uh, Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. Kaczynski was 81. Uh, he had late-stage cancer, uh, I guess, according to sources. And uh, th- this was a case, of course, my childhood. I, I remember when this was happening, uh, I was... I think he was sent to prison when I was 18 years old. So this is something I remember in high school. And um, it was, uh, of course, in its time, it was, it was a, 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 one of the largest manhunts in our nation's history, trying to track this guy down. It's been popularized in a number of uh, books and essays and even documentaries. There's one recently that I saw that was, that was quite good. Uh, detailing how the FBI, the good guys, came along and got Kaczynski. And every time that you had the men and women of the FBI coming together and catching a guy like Kaczynski and bringing him to justice, all of that effort, right, all of that, uh, all of those good, all of those good deeds get completely pasted over as the FBI becomes nothing more than a political shock troop organization at the beck and call of the Democratic Party. Now here is, uh, here are some reactions um, from folks inside. Vivek Ramaswamy, who is himself running for president, uh, Republican primary, he is one of the most outspoken uh, Republican candidates running in his opposition to this uh, this this indictment listen to what he has to say there's no evidence there's absolutely no evidence Dennis. unless you can show me some that president biden has had anything to do with this prosecution Dennis. that's why he put two layers in between with, with due respect account. i think it is shameful that i as a competitor to president trump in this race have to ask questions that the media isn't asking the job of the political media if it has one job is to hold the u.s government accountable yes, we know that and instead we're doing the bidding you're seeing the media doing the bidding of the u.s government no. Ask the question, get to the bottom of what Biden told Garland and what Garland told Jack Smith. 
If the same shoe fit the other foot, you would not take their word at face value. Do not take their word now. Get to the bottom of it. Let's actually restore journalism in this country. That's what's actually missing is Thank getting you. to the truth. Do you know what I love about Ramaswamy? I like that he has Trump's fire with a hell of a ton more discipline and probably even a better command of the English language. This guy is absolutely on fire. I read a piece somewhere, I think it was in the New York Post. I don't have it here in front of me. I had it printed up and I think time passed and I just I threw it into the round filing cabinet known as my trash can. But I saw in it this piece, the, high, the title of it was, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy, the spoiler candidate that, uh, that Trump loves, you know, lo- loves to love, basically. And, and, and I, I read the piece. My take on it, of course, is that Vivek Ramaswamy is one of the top defenders of Trump, who at least at this point doesn't pose a, a threat to him. Looking at some, some recent polling, over the weekend, Sunday, yesterday, CBS News, YouGov poll, uh, I, mean, I can't even believe this. Right? Was, well, I, I believe Trump 61, DeSantis 23. Pence 4%. Again, who are these Pence voters? Bring them to me. I, I don't, Who are you? Nikki Haley 3%. Tim Scott 4%. Ramaswamy still at 1%. I, I expect... Hear me out on this. I expect Ramaswamy's stock to rise. He's holding a press conference tomorrow. He's going to be at the Miami, in front of the Miami courthouse as this whole thing is unfolding. He's, he's I mean, he's hitting the pavement hard. And right now, you, you, you probably blink and you'll miss him because he's not getting a lot of attention in the mainstream media. But he absolutely is getting attention uh, beyond. So it's, and he's, he's driving a lot of discourse. Now, DeSantis, who is, according to this last uh, poll, still woefully trailing Trump, uh, says this about two standards of justice. This is on Friday night at the Republican North Carolina State Convention. Our, Our founding fathers would have absolutely predicted the weaponization that we've seen with these agencies, particularly justice and FBI. Because when you don't have constitutional accountability, human nature is such that they will abuse their power. And that's what's happened. Nobody has held them accountable. And, you know, look, when I was uh, uh, in in Congress, I remember, you know, Hillary had the the emails with the classified. And my view was, well, gee, you know, as a naval officer, if I would have taken classified to my apartment, I would have been court-martialed in a New York minute. And yet they seem to not care about that. And is there a different standard for a Democrat secretary of state versus a former Republican president? I think there needs to be one standard of justice in this country. One standard of justice in this country. He's absolutely right. Now, the other thing that DeSantis got into is he, you know, he, I, I like, you know, I like when he calls out, right? He says that, you know, as a naval officer, if he'd taken classified information to his apartment, he would have been court-martialed and that would have been the end of it. And that, of course, Hillary Clinton, that didn't happen to her. It didn't happen to Joe Biden. didn't happen to Mike Pence, Right. That if you are the type of politician that is acceptable to the institutional rulers of this country who are not the elected office, you know, officials, but rather the permanent bureaucratic class, 
if you are acceptable to them, you get, a, you, you get privileges. It's no different than any other totalitarian state in the annals of history. But when DeSantis talks about the weaponization of the DOJ, how it affects regular people as well, he's spot on because when the DOJ turns its attention not to just a guy like Donald Trump who has resources and who has power and visibility and a means of communicating and connecting with the public for support, but he turns on somebody like, like you or I or regular people, then it really becomes a problem. Listen to what DeSantis has to say. And I love that he says this because this connects what's occurring to Trump and brings it to regular folks. There is obviously very high profile examples, but there's examples of ordinary people who may not get the same headlines. A pro-life uh, advocate may have 20 FBI agents storming their house at six o'clock in the morning. You may have parents going to a school board meeting in Virginia that are being surveilled by the FBI. So the weaponization of these agencies strikes at the heart of what it means to have a free society. And it's not just affecting people at the top, it's affecting people all throughout our country. By the way, that FBI goon squad sent after the pro-life advocate Mark Hawk, I want to remind you that he was, he was exonerated by a jury. He was absolutely let loose, let free. The jury didn't buy any of what the Justice Department was bringing. And I say that because when you see senators... I think uh, Hawley was one of them recently, asking Merrick Garland specifically to answer for the 20 FBI's agents sent to Mark Hawk's house, asking him to account for the decision that went into doing that. And you see Merrick Garland squirming around like a little, you know, swarmy schoolboy that is, uh, you know, it looks like the cat that swallowed the canary and isn't going to cough it up. You know what's going on here. It's not about the prosecution. It's not about the conviction that they know that they have a, a, a risky chance of getting. It's the process of terrifying you and your family, of throwing the weight of the federal government that, by the way, you and I pay for. We literally pay for these people's salaries. And they turn them around and use them as weapons against us. Those of you who were fathers and mothers who spoke out at school board meetings and then had a letter go out from this very same Justice Department calling you a public enemy and a danger to the stability of this republic. You don't have to like Trump. You can be a never Trump, never Trump, ever Trump person. It's not going to save you from this FBI. They'll come after you. The minute that you pop your head up like a little whack-a-mole, they'll come and hit you right over the head, pop you right back in the machine where you belong. They don't want any of us stepping out of line. And so you know, I'll, I'll tell you, here, here's what I want, and I distill from all of this, is there's a lot of talk right now about democracy, right? About what it is to... Live in a democracy. And the left, by the way, they talk about democracy uh, a lot. Trump is a threat to democracy. 
my observation here is that a problem we have right now is that because the actual government, the state, and the powers that it has is run not necessarily by elected officials, but rather by a permanent bureaucratic class, we don't actually have a, a, a democracy. We have a we have a, a state-run government that is led by a relatively small elite group of individuals who have an enormous amount of power. And these folks are not elected. And in 2016, we elected a man to clean it up. And through, and I'll say it here first, through his own failure, but also through the concerted and focused efforts of that permanent bureaucratic class, he and the agenda that we voted for, more importantly, was thwarted. The real opponents of democracy, to me, are self-evident. And it's the largely Democrat, but some, many, many Republicans in there too, the Mike Pence Republicans, who are very happy with that permanent bureaucratic class of people making decisions. They're very cozy with it. They're comfortable with this setup because they have a lot of power and a lot of privilege. It not only gives them protection, but also gives them immense wealth. And anyone that comes along that threatens this great, fabulous, cozy way of life for them is an existential threat. And they will send the entire power and, and weight of the federal government to their doorstep. Whether it's someone like Trump, whether it's a DeSantis, whether it's a Vivek Ramaswamy, or you or I, they'll come for us. You just have to be aware of that. So my context for this whole thing is that there's a lot more to this than just Trump. It could be you. It could be me. And we need to know that. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. All right, friends, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here. Happy Monday. Just a friendly reminder. Yes, we did it. The Golden Knights delivering yet another victory in the Stanley Cup Finals on Saturday night. I don't know if you had a chance to see this game. Uh, it is. It was... Ah, oh, it was spectacular. Uh, side note, I <laughs> it came down to basically the last minute and a half of play at the end. And remember, we we lost we lost game three in in overtime, where you know the score we we were ahead and the score evened up, and then then that was that. We went into overtime and lost. And so I was keenly aware of the fact that I didn't want us to. To get in that same predicament because we're three ahead, it was three nothing, and then then Florida caught up, and and at the very end of the game, and if you missed this, I'm not giving anything away. The score is already a final score. You know what happened, but I'm telling you, it was what was this? It was six on four. I mean, we we had they they pulled they pulled their goalie. Florida pulled their goalie because they're only one point behind. So the, their effort to put another man in to to try to score, and then. We had a penalty in the last, what was it, 30 seconds? And so we were down a guy for two minutes. We had a two-minute penalty. And it's, it, it was, and they went all out 
to try to put that puck in Vegas goals, in Vegas's goal. And it was, folks, I, I, I told, I told every, afterwards I had heart palpitations. I had chest pain because it was so stressful. So uh, we'll have game five back here in Las Vegas tomorrow, 5 p.m. I will be there. I will be in uh, in T-Mobile and look forward to seeing you all there that uh, that uh, are, are going to go and be there in person. I'm thinking we can clean it up tomorrow. If we win tomorrow. That's it. That's four games, four out of seven. I mean, we, we win. The well, the, the, yeah, the, the, the actual cup itself will be in, in the fortress. And I, uh, I have, by the way, fun fact about me, many years ago, before, well, this would be seven, eight years ago, before the Knights came about and I was living in Orange County, I had an opportunity to touch, be next to the, uh, the, um, the Stanley Cup. I have a picture of it. You know, we're in a, we're there invite because it was a, it was an anniversary of the Ducks winning the, uh, winning the uh, thing. It was a charity event, and the Stanley Cup travels with an assigned security detail. I don't know if you knew this, but the, the, yeah, the Stanley Cup itself has guys, gals maybe too, that are in uniform, NHL, you know, officials, but they're security people that are assigned to the trophy. So the trophy has its own, I guess, like minders, you know. Like if you're a new Scientologist and you're a famous Hollywood scarlet, you know, that kind of, that kind of security. So they're, they're very, you know, they, you know, kids, you know, careful. You can't really pick it up or anything. But, you know, they'll, they'll be there. They'll be literally in Vegas with the Stanley Cup ready in the event that the Golden Knights win it tomorrow night. So I, I... All I'm just going to tell you right now, on Wednesday, if that happens on Wednesday, I will be yelling something fierce. I mean, I, I will be – on Wednesday, I will have no voice because on, on Tuesday, I will have, have lost it. So I'll get through this, folks. I promise I will be – yes, I promise I will be um, – I will be um, – yeah, I will be I will be on this and, and there and look forward to seeing you. Please come up and see me. I'm I'm in the lower bowl. I'll be walking around uh, during the breaks and uh, and I have Sam written on my jersey, so you can't can't miss me. All right, I want to ask you something. Did any of the people that you knew in your life change during COVID? There's a fascinating thing. Alex Berenson. Do, do you know who this is? The guy who. A former New York Times writer leaves the New York Times, ends up becoming one of the true independent voices on the subject of COVID. And this is, uh, and by the way, he ends up getting uh, getting booted off of Twitter, Facebook, Meta, right? Everybody censors him, and he become he's and yet he continues to publish information skeptical of the of the COVID vaccines, of mitigation measures, etc. And he turns out to be a guy who was largely right. Well, he put he had a fascinating thing where he put out a a piece uh, this morning. I saw it. I, I, I subscribed to his newsletter, and it was about a friend of his that basically delivers a bit of a mea culpa, and it ties into another story. About a woman named Gigi Grazier, you probably don't know who she is, but she was the 
is a, a Hollywood to-do lady married to a very powerful Hollywood guy and uh, very left-wing. And there, she was featured in a story recently, too, that she has had an, a bit of an epiphany, a bit of an awakening following COVID. And, and I tell you, these examples, folks, I don't think that they are isolated. And I think that when you, when you look at the totality of what occurred during COVID, you realize that a lot of folks, particularly women, had an awakening and a realization of just what the left-wing establishment is capable of and, 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 and have, have come to regret it and in some ways have been radicalized. All right. Wonderful. Great to be with you. I'll be back in a moment. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, friends, welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show, News Talk 840, KXNT. Sam Rajofsky here, Nevada's favorite recovering ex-Californian. Pleased to be with you. All right, let me tell you something, folks. Something happened during COVID. I keep coming back to this because it's fascinating. And not just fascinating, I think it's uh, indicative of some... Well, some some changes that uh, that I that I sense in the direction of this country. It, 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 one of the things for me that occurred during the process of the lockdowns, and then the forced vaccinations, and then the ongoing isolation created through, let's say, well, you know, outbreaks, you know, in class, and next thing you know, the whole all thirty kids are being sequestered because one kid possibly had somebody in their house who may have tested for COVID and everybody's education was disrupted. All the stuff that was going on affected somebody in the Merjofsky household, that is my house, more than I expected. And I don't want to throw her under the bus, but it was my wife. Okay, there it is. I'm going to skip to the chase. And by the way, I don't think our household is that unique, particularly. I think many of you had similar experiences. Now, let me explain where I'm, where I'm going with this. You know, I'm, let's say five years ago, pre-COVID, well before COVID, I would, believe it or not, occasionally come home and talk about politics. And while my, I would say that my, my better half, that she tolerated and and liked a lot of what I had to say, uh, she didn't necessarily want to get into it politically. And I would describe her as having the political orientation of not wanting to make enemies with anybody. And that's a fair assessment. By the way, this is why people really like my wife more than they like me, because uh, she's a lovely person. So Sherry, you know, was was never a political type. I think when, when we first met, she made of even... She told me something like, well, I don't, I don't vote Republican or Democrat. I vote based on the candidate and the issues, whatever the hell that meant. I don't know. It was, it was, she just wasn't very politically 
active or aware. All of that changed in 2020 and 2021. Folks, I cannot tell you how radical of a transformation happened to my wife and many other, particularly stay-at-home moms, but moms in general. They absolutely reacted to it. Now, I'm, I, I saw a piece this morning, uh, newsletter Alex Berenson, just I was telling you this earlier, he's the former New York Times writer, Democrat, right? He's a left-wing guy. And he, as COVID begins coming, and I remember this because I followed him on Twitter. I, I, I read his articles. I think he had some pieces, some stuff that was published in the journal. And, and I, I was reading his pieces, and he was one of the first people to get into the granular data of what was coming off, uh, you know, various worlds on the, on the remember, remember all, the, all the different portals that we had? We, can, we could look at all the COVID information coming out of China, which, of course, was all, you know, I mean, made up. And then you had stuff coming out of Italy, out of Germany, out of, out of Great Britain. And we're studying these, these waves and, and look at this, look at how many numbers they had and how many positive results and all that stuff, right? And he was the first to really look at it and say, look, this is, we're making much ado about nothing. Now that won him a Twitter ban. He got booted from Facebook. He was uh, basically blacklisted. And he writes today, and I have it here in front of me because it's, it's actually a little bit of a, I want to say, it's a, a heart, kind of pulls at the heartstrings, but he talks about how in the summer of 21, he had his kids, uh, had a friend, one of his kids had his friend come over. And I guess um, the, the kid, that the guest, their, his parents realized that Alex Berenson was supervising and the the you know thinking maybe the wife was over there because i guess alex like me his wife is a little less political so alex uh the parents find out that the the the, the dad's at home the same guy who is speaking out against anthony fauci how dare he and they told the child that they were uncomfortable and would retrieve their kid immediately. And they were kidding. Quote, they arrived in minutes. They made a three-point turn in our driveway. So they were facing out and wouldn't spend any extra seconds close to me. I watched, this is Alex Berenson saying, I watched their child run to the car and watched the car disappear down the road thinking, now my kids are paying the price true too. And then he writes, that yesterday, so this is yesterday, literally, because you wrote this this morning. Yesterday, the mother of that kid that made that decision all the way back in the summer of 21 reached out to him and said that he was right about the lockdowns and about COVID generally. It wasn't a long conversation, but it was long enough. This woman said she didn't like how frightened she'd become. She hardly recognized the person she'd been, and she felt only now that she'd recovered. So Alex Berenson asks her, well, what if they try to do it again? You know, like next winter or whenever they're going to try to, they're going to try. And the mom, apparently she didn't laugh. She said something. She goes, she smirks, and she says, quote, no way. She said, no masks, no lockdowns. I'm done with all of it. 
Now, I, th- I thought of this and I, I thought, you know, to, th- that is an example of a left-wing Karen-like histrionics-ridden person who, of course, were running throughout her midst. Here in Vegas, by the way, I know a number of people, a number of friends that I, I still see you guys now and we talk, but I remember what you did. I remember what you said. I remember what you said about me and about our family. I remember the, the, the how else to put it, the, almost the mental illness with which people took to fear in the height of COVID. But I'm telling you two things. One, it motivated a group of moms who were previously not political to become far more conservative. And two, it did not in all cases yet, but in many, it got some of these liberals to realize how dangerous this uh, state monopoly on information, on power, on enforcement really can be. It, it, it does lead consequently to and connect to the FBI story, right? Because you talk to a lot of people, and, and, and I'll tell you, I used to be one of these, these folks as a, as a younger person when I was in my 20s. I said, well, if the police were coming after you, you probably did something wrong. And far before I even went to law school, I can tell you, I realized that my statement was fundamentally flawed. I was wrong. Well, you, when you're talking about Trump and the FBI, you can say, you can use the analogy of cars going speeding down the road, right? Ten cars speeding down the road. Four of, four of them have Joe Biden for president stickers. I know it's impossible to even think that, but yes. And if the police only pull over the Joe Biden stickered cars, that's hardly blind justice, is it? No, that is what we call selective prosecution. Here with COVID, you know, there are so many people that ran around and said, yeah, well, we need safety, safety, safety. And then they realized that by enabling the state behemoth bureaucracy to come in and wreck their lives, that they had sacrificed their own family safety over a a perception, misperception of what reality was. Now, Brian Grazier, who is a very famous Hollywood guy, his wife, uh, ex-wife, I think they were divorced, um, her name is Gigi uh, Grazier. She's an author. She's well-regarded. And uh, there is a piece in the rap uh, that was published, what, last week? Benjamin Svetke and Sharon Waxman writing about this lady, and it's, it's a long piece, but the gist of it is that they cannot believe that Gigi has gone full conservative. I mean, she's living in, where is she living? Tennessee, in Franklin. She's going to church. How it is possible that this lady who was a toast of Hollywood and at LGBTQ events, political fundraisers for Democrats, she hosted a fundraiser for Barack Obama, of all things. They describe her as a luminescent Beverly Hills butterfly all of a sudden ends up being full MAGA living out in Tennessee. 
And the answer is simple. Look at the timing. Because while this lady's wealth and status is extraordinary, I actually think her story is is not that unusual. I think many women, many moms, went through a process during COVID where they divorced left-wing thinking because it it struck at it's the first time that politics really struck at the core of their family of their lives it hit home i bring this up because i think actually the lgbtq kid trans agenda is also hitting families it's also going to affect women you're also seeing, right, when it comes to the trans agenda, women particularly who are having their identity as women stripped through the trans movement, movement fighting back. You're seeing that occur. Again, it's the women that are at the leading edge of this, which I think is, 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 is fabulous, but we have to be aware of it. I, I always try on this program to get you a step ahead of things, and, and it's, this, is, this is real. So COVID is one of the first moments where not fast enough but in a relatively short period of time the official doctrine that was pushed by the government was repudiated and it was the mothers in this country it was the stay-at-home moms and 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 other moms this this lady wasn't for example uh, i'm talking about uh, Gigi grazier was not a stay-at-home mom uh but she you know but she definitely was affected by it and, and I love the mainstream media writing about it. They're like, how could this be? This is crazy. And she was later remarried, and she married a, 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 a black gentleman. And, and um, you know, but and how could she was married to a black person? Actually, post-conspicuous anti-Black Lives Matter material. How dare she? Only a liberal could write this way, of course, because they think everybody belongs in a little silo, little box segregated in there, each, each to their own section of where they belong. But uh, the answer is quite simple. The last few years, the left has overplayed its hand. And regular, previously apolitical, go-with-the-flow people, like stay-at-home moms, for example, have had enough. And I think the tide is turning. I keep saying that here, but I'm telling you, folks, the tide is turning. I got to take a quick break. You're listening to the What's Right Show. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. All right, folks. Sam Rajofsky here, News Talk 840 KXNT. I am Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Great to be with you and uh, happy uh, that we've had these couple hours together. Now, in the last few minutes, I just want to point out tomorrow will be a big day because uh, Trump has uh, just minutes ago landed in Miami-Dade International Airport. Uh, He is on the ground. He's expected to stay at his Miami uh, Doral uh, Resort overnight and then present himself to federal court tomorrow morning. There will be a Uh, An absolute media circus. Antifa is showing up to combat, of course, the Trump supporters. So expect uh, expect some wild scenes to emerge. Uh, I uh, my 
expectation for the event, will there be a – one of the questions being asked is if there's going to be mugshots taken of the president. I, not necessarily. Uh, but could happen. Uh, Trump is not going to be taken into custody. He's going to – there's going to be an arraignment. That arraignment, as we know, is going to be handled by a magistrate a judge, and, um, and that's – um, and, th- and that's it. Now he's going to be at the end of the arraignment. He's going to be released, uh, and uh, and that will be that. And then the process uh, uh, kicks off. There, we might get a trial date set tomorrow. We might, and if it's set, it's going to be you know weeks, couple months, three months out. Uh, I anticipate that the Trump people will want to push this. Believe it or not. We'll see what they say, but his his team is going to politically Trump wants to drag this on. And that's an acknowledgement how this is a process that benefits him over uh, well, uh, over others, including his own competitors and also including uh, Joe Biden. So this that's that's what I anticipate will will occur. And um, yeah, Jonathan Goodman, who's the magistrate judge who's uh, handling the arraignment. Uh, he once worked as a newspaper reporter in South Florida, and he got a law degree, practiced some civil litigation, uh, worked with a firm there in Miami, and um, and and so. But the magistrates are 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 not they're not appointed for life. Magistrate judges are are there. There are lower lower judges that process things like bankruptcy uh, cases, et cetera, uh, and uh, and and arraignments and, and and things like that. So as of today, as of right now, Judge Eileen Cannon still uh, on the case, uh, confirmed in 2020, and was apparently randomly assigned uh, to lead uh, this particular matter, even though she's the one who granted Trump's request for a special master uh, to oversee the Mar-a-Lago case uh, that was, you know, when the documents were first seized in the raid. Um, so this this uh, Slate magazine, by the way, they, they, quote Cannon's total lack of principle combined with her evident incapacity to experience shame renders her a uniquely favorable jurist for the former president. Indeed, if she maintains her grasp on this case, it is nearly impossible to envision Jack Smith's secure conviction of Trump in her courtroom. Um, I think this is all around a, a, a bad take. And I think that, you know, that for those of you who, like me, would like to see an absolution on these charges, it's not even, by the way, I was thinking about this the other day, it's not even that I want to see an absolution on these charges. I want much more than that. I don't think these charges should have been brought to bear in the first place. So not only do I want to see Trump acquitted, okay, but I would love to see when the next Republican president get into office to hold accountable Joe Biden and every other Democrat who is in or out of office to the same standards that Trump was held to. And then we simply say, now we're following the law and we take the statement issued by the get Trump prosecutor, Jack Smith, that he read out on Friday and we say, this is, this is what it is. What did he say? Our laws that protect national defense information are critical to the safety and security of the United States, and they must be enforced. Good. 
And so, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. We're going to enforce these against Joe Biden if he's still with us. And we'll get we'll have him arrested and delivered to the courthouse and have him shuffle in. And, and, and I'm telling you, that's what I want. Because like I said last week, they have opened this can of worms and it will blow back on them. And it needs to. Because what they did here is simply, simply unacceptable and it, and it cannot be led to, led to pass. So again, by the way, the, the Espionage Act, this is such an arcane old, <laughs> this old law that is, by the way, people are very rarely prosecuted against. And, and it isn't that long ago that a lot of Democrats were, well, were supporting WikiLeaks and Julian Assange, and he was being charged under Espionage Act because he had gotten these documents and published them. And, and, and they felt that this was, this was an unfair use of the Espionage Act. And, and it, look, it, you have to, if you want to follow the law, and if you want to be a law and order person, you have to be consistent. And we all cried about, about Hillary Clinton, and they decided what the standard was. And now they want to change the standard, and that's not right. All right, folks, I'll be back here tomorrow. As per usual, you can get the program on the podcast so yeah the what's right show twitter you can find us well on twitter we're at you know at what's right show at what's right sam twitter and instagram and then the show what's right show everywhere you get your podcast we'll see you tomorrow